so good to uh, have you all here with us whenever you're watching this. But I have a special fondness for those of you who are live streaming. Uh, you contribute to the energy of the moment. I can feel it, and I appreciate it. And it's you that I'm, I'm imagining in my head as I'm giving this message, trying to get used to preaching a message to a mostly empty auditorium. No offense to the five of you who are here. Uh, but uh, I, I first want to start by mentioning this, um, just noting the passing of, of Congressman John Lewis. Um, at the age of 20, he heard Martin Luther King talk about the kingdom of God and about loving your enemies and about nonviolence, and he embraced that teaching. All his life, and that's been his philosophy. He's the last of the, the great civil rights leaders who really embodied what is, I think, the most beautiful and distinctive aspect of Martin Luther King's whole revolutionary idea. Um, I, he was a torchbearer for that. That... That aspect of Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, philosophy, the love and the nonviolence, that is not as present today as it once was. And uh, for that and many other reasons, I think we, we grieve the loss of, of John Lewis and are thankful for the contribution he made. Uh, I, I, I have always had a commitment to be honest with you. I never want to be up here in the pulpit, uh, this is our pulpit, um, being something other than what I am. And, and so I, I just wanted to share this. Uh, some of you will recall, maybe it was three, four months ago, it was, it was soon after COVID, we had the lockdown start. Um, I mentioned uh, uh, David Morrow preached a message on lament, and next week I just sort of lamented. <laughs> that was my message. Because uh, that, that, his message just opened my eyes to the fact that I had, over the last three, four years, my wife and I have gone through more reasons than you could put into a country western song, uh, have things happening to us, and it, there's just been losses. Um, and I never, you know, there's too much busy stuff going on. I never give myself, have given myself the emotional space to feel that loss, to grieve that. And I was kind of flatlining four months ago. And then, then the George Floyd murder happened. And uh, for many of us, that's been one emotional roller coaster. Uh, it has been... Had an emotional roller coaster. What else has to say about that? And then, uh, and shortly after that, I get these kidney stones. <laughs> uh, twice. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was an ordeal. And then three weeks ago, uh, my wife uh, slipped on some water and uh, broke her back in two places. And what makes that particularly painful is that um, she had four months earlier slipped and broken her a cracked a vertebrae. And so she had a body brace on for three torturous months because she, she is a busy person. She doesn't sit. She needs to do stuff. And if you can't bend over, you're very limited in what you can do. So three months of torture. But then at the end of the three months, they said, well, you got to keep it on for one more month. Uh, you know, to try to endure it, but, but it's not quite healed yet. And then she was two days away from getting that body brace off. And that's what she fell and cracked it now in two other places. So she's got a bigger body brace and it's, um, and see, this is at the tail end of, 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 of a bunch of stuff happening, including a knee surgery for her and two toe surgeries and, and the rest. So now she's going to have to have, have, have it on for the, last, for the next three or four months. Uh, all that is to say we're in a tough spot. I, 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 I I'm not in the storm that we just sang about, you know. I, I, it doesn't feel like a storm. It feels more like a desert. And I'm sure some, a lot of you can relate to that. You go through patches like that where it's just, the prayers just don't seem to 
have life. You go through seasons like that. Uh, in a season like that, you know, this is, I think, I, the lowest point my wife and I have ever found ourselves in. And it, it's, it's, it's turning around, it's getting better. And we've had friends that have just been so good to us and, and they're bringing food over too much and that's why I'm getting fat and, and all the rest. But, but, uh, um, but you know, I, as, as, as we just saying, I, I, and as Sean just reiterated, um, what, what gets me through is that I know I live in a very long story. This isn't a short story. This is an eternal story. And it's a story in which God's love wins in the end. And I put all my eggs in that basket. Um, you go through deserts, but it's way better to go through deserts with knowing in which you, him in whom you put your hope, having a hope rather than going through a desert and having no hope whatsoever. The other thing I want to say is that, that uh, in this kind of desert season I'm in, I, I want to say that one of the bright spots for me has been Woodland Hills. Um, which is wonderful because sometimes it's been a total pain in the butt. But right now I'm saying it's wonderful. <laughs> I had to say that. No, it, uh, of course it has been a pain in the butt sometimes. But, uh, you know, since the George Floyd murder, I just felt like we found our stride or a, a, we stepped into something that God has for us that we're supposed to play uh, f- within our body and, 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 and beyond. And, and um, I just I felt so good about this series that we've had. We've just been, you know, just kind of making up as we go along. But, but I just think it's been so necessary in this Kairos moment we're in, full of scary stuff, but full of, of real opportunity. And, and um, I, I just have felt like we've been hitting, and, and, and as a whole, the church, you know, all the ministries that we've got going on, and, and I encourage you to check those out. Um, this COVID season is tough for everybody, but, but uh, I feel like we've stepped up in, in, in just some wonderful ways. The, the ministry that we have to the homeless and, and the tiny homes things, we'll be giving more report on that sometime in the future here. But just a lot of cool things. Keep us in prayer and thank you for all your prayer and support. We are the body that's doing that. We together, this is stuff that we do. And I'm uh, so glad I'm a part of this, this body. I'm going to just give a quick reflection here, and then we're going to uh, uh, bring a, a panel on to take care of the many questions that have been sent to us. Um, what I want us to see is that racism is not a new problem. Uh, it's a very ancient problem. Now, in the ancient world, it wouldn't be called racism because they didn't think of it in terms of different races. That's an idea that came to white Western people in the 17th and 18th centuries so as to put them in a hierarchy and then enslave some. Uh, so we, it's anachronistic to call it racism, but you do have prejudice against people groups for various reasons, sometimes on the basis of phenotypes, on how they uh, appear or their different cultures or whatever. Uh, and so I'm going to just refer to it as ancient racism because it's too long to say uh, having prejudice against certain people groups for various reasons. <laughs> racism will have to cover it. But here, here it's always been an obstacle for, to God doing what God wants to do. So, so God called Abraham, right? And Abraham's the father of Israel. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 12 that I am going to make you a, a father of, of many nations. Uh, and your, char- your children in Genesis 17 says it will be more numerous than the stars of the sky. Uh, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. That's what God's always had in mind, to bless the whole world. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. But see, Israel was chosen for a vocation. That's what it means to be the chosen people. You're chosen to be used by God to accomplish a, a, a great function. 
But they began to think of their chosenness in terms of a privilege and even in terms of a badge of honor. They began to feel self-righteous about it and they began to look down on the very people they were supposed to be serving. You find it throughout the Old Testament, the Lord's saying, I want to make you a, a nation of priests because you're going to you know, bring the people to, to God. You're, you, the, the, all the nations will come to Mount Sinai and, and, and worship Yahweh. And you have that refrain over and over again. But it went in one ear and out the other because the, the people just got hardened in their racism. They looked down on the, those Gentiles, began to see them as just dirty. They don't think right, they don't act right, they don't smell right, they get weird culture. They, they don't obey the things of God. They begin to disdain them. The idea of using Israel as a nation to reach the world did not work. So Jesus comes along and, and Jesus reiterates this theme about how God's interested in the whole world and how his kingdom is, can't be defined by any nation or uh, of the sort. He talks about how people are going to come from the east and the west and, 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 and people that you don't even know about are going to be coming here. And, and he's, he's got this all-inclusive vision of the kingdom and he models it in his life. By the way, he treats non-Jews. He breaks all these taboos, talking to the Samaritan woman and praising the Roman centurion and all the rest. He models it, and then in the very end of his life, just before he ascends, he says to them, I have one final word here. Remember to go forth into all nations. This isn't just a Jewish thing. This is a world thing. Go forth into all nations, baptizing them, making them disciples. So fast forward a couple of years. Jesus ascends into heaven. He sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Yay, man, the church is exploding. Things are going good. But you go forward a couple of years, and you'll find that everybody is still in Jerusalem. <laughs> Oh, you had a little Philip go up there in uh, Samaria one time, but they're all hanging out there now. They're doing good stuff. They're building a church, you know, God's rocking the house, but they're staying in their comfort zone. Why aren't they going out into all the world making disciples? Well, those are dirty dogs out there. Those are those people, their customs are weird. They talk strange. They don't listen to things of God, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't because God wasn't trying, because we see God trying. It finally breaks through in Acts chapter 10, where not only are the Jews not going out to the Gentiles, but God is so desperate for missionaries, he goes to the Gentiles. <laughs> Read about it in Acts chapter 10. He goes to Cornelius and he says, have some of your servants, he has a, this angel talk to him, uh, have some of your servants go over to Joppa, and you'll find this guy named Peter, and gives a little description there. Will you tell him to come to your house and evangelize you, basically is what he says. Will you go ask them to please come over and spread the good news? Meanwhile, God's preparing Peter for this, all right? So he, Peter's up on his rooftop praying, and he, he gets this vision uh, of these uh, clean and unclean animals being together, and they come down on this kind of a bedsheet thing, and he hears this voice that he's supposed to eat them. And, and, and what God's trying to tell him is that that distinction between the clean and unclean, it, it no longer applies. You've got to get out of that kind of thinking. Uh, it doesn't work. So God sends the vision again. It doesn't work. So God sends the vision again. I mean, it's, when you're dealing with deeply rooted prejudices, it's hard for even God to get through. Uh, all that teaching in the Old Testament, all that teaching with Jesus, all that modeling with Jesus, God sends forth the Holy Spirit, go forth into all nations, and they still don't get it. Well, finally, these guys show up at Peter's door right after that vision, and they said, hey, you're supposed to come to our house and tell us something or other. So Peter goes there. And when he hears the story about what God's been doing with Cornelius, <clears throat> he says this. He goes, I, I, I can see now that God is no respecter of persons. Whoa. That's really good, Peter. Uh, and that's great. Uh, God doesn't show favoritism. Uh, but see, that for Peter is a huge thing because he's been brainwashed into thinking that, that, that the Jews are the favorites. That he's just one of the favorites. 
No, I, God shows, so if, if God shows no, no favoritism, then I guess I'm supposed to preach. So he starts preaching to them about the good news. Uh, and as he's preaching, I mean, he gets four lines into his message and the Holy Spirit falls on all these Gentiles and uh, they're prophesying and speaking in tongues. And then Peter goes, wow, well, God gave them the same spirit that he gave us. I guess we should baptize them, which is to say, I guess we should welcome into the fellowship. Uh, God finally broke through, but man, it took some doing. Now, it wasn't easy. You go forward five chapters later, and in Acts 15, they're having a first council meeting, the first time the church as a whole gets together. And guess what they're talking about? Race. How are these Jews and Gentiles supposed to get along? And there's all these uh, things to work through here. Um, and and they, they, they finally hammer it out, and they end up saying, well, it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that, that we should impose these four restrictions on the Gentiles and, and so not, not to offend the fellow Jews and so on and so on. But it was messy, which tells us that dealing with race relationships are messy. It, you know, we wish it could just sing Kumbaya, we're all one in Jesus, and it'd be done, but it doesn't work like that. There's different cultures, there's different understandings, different perspectives that you've got to work out but see, the Holy Spirit is in that working it out. And even after that, of course, there's still problems. Uh, you know, Paul later on has to rebuke Peter uh, for being a racist. He was sitting with the Gentiles until some other Jews come along. And then he separates himself and goes and has a dinner with them. And, and, and so Paul has to get into his face about it. This is stuff that's hard to hammer out. It was one of the number one issues in the early church. It's been one of the number one issues ever since. Fast forward this to the white American church. Uh, and here we have, in the early days, even before America was founded, we had a white church that to a large degree, let's be honest about it, they went, didn't go forth into all the nations to make disciples. They went out looking for slaves. And, and we had four centuries of this slavery and this injustice. And then after the Civil War, the systematic you know, operation to try to make sure blacks don't get into power and terrorizing them out of the vote and renting them out as inmates and all the rest of that. All of, almost all of that's done by white Christians and sanctioned by a large part of the white church. That's the history here. If the white church had, as I said several weeks ago, been living out the call to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. The, the, slavery could have never got off the ground, let alone all the other subsequent injustices. And I, I, I guess as, as a representative of the white church, I want to say to my black and brown brothers and sisters that uh, I am sorry for that. That in no way, in no way represented Christ. That To that degree, it repre represented antichrist. If you want to find Christ back there and someone who gets the gospel right, Read Frederick Douglass. Uh, he, 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 he got the gospel, and it wasn't the gospel that was being preached by, by, by the white folks. And I want to say that, that uh, as the representative of the white church, we, at least here at Woodland Hills Church, commit to partnering with you uh, to repair the damage that this has done, the systemic damage that this has done uh, throughout this, the centuries. Uh, this is a very ancient problem. Um, and I'm not silly enough to think that we're going to get it all taken care of this round. Uh, but we're making baby steps, and we're committed to doing that. This is going to be the last message that we're preaching on this specific topic, um, for, for right now anyways. Who knows what the future will bring? But we'll be going into next week a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, um, see, this, is, this, this issue of, of, of learning how to manifest the one new humanity in Christ is, is going to be always before us. And we're going to find, as, as we go throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that it gives us plenty of opportunity to address apply kingdom principles to this issue. So at this time, I'd like to invite up uh, our distinguished panel of guests. 
uh, as they come up here. I want to say that it's been kind of interesting that at least the feedback that I've gotten, uh, I've gotten more feedback, positive feedback about the panel discussions than I have about the messages. Now, that means one of two things. It could mean that our messages suck, but it also could mean, and this is what I prefer to think, that uh, we just had some pretty kicking panel discussions. And so I, I uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, share your thoughts, answer these questions. We, of course, can't get to all the questions that have been sent in, uh, but we look at the ones that, are, that show up the, the, the most frequently and that seem to be the most important. A few of the questions that we're going to be looking at this, this morning, we've touched on at different points, but we can tell that by, they, they, they keep on being asked and we're having new people joining us all the time. Hello, new people. Good to have you here. Uh, and, and they seem important enough for us to re reiterate. So, so there'll be a little bit of that. So let's start with this. Um, oh, I, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I, I should introduce my distinguished panel. Uh, would you just go around and just say your name and one word about yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Nimi Ocholi. I'm a volunteer here at Woodland Hills and I'm very grateful to call this place home. Um, I moved to Minnesota about um, 14 years ago now, and it's been, it's been really great to be in a place that is forcing us to consider what being part of a kingdom really looks like. I'm Shauna Boren, and I'm one of the pastors here at Woodland Hills Church, and I just love being a part of these um, discussions, this kingdom movement that, that we're called to be a part of. It's just been really powerful, and I'm super thankful that we're not staying silent, and we're, like, hitting this stuff head on, so that's been pretty cool. Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Cedric Baker. I'm also a volunteer here on the, on the worship team and really excited about these discussions and um, challenging us to really dig in deep and, and wrestle with some really, really hard topics. Excellent. And by the way, you've got an excellent voice. I just like have to say that. butter. It's amazing. It's like That's butter. Kind of, <laughs> so it, 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 it's uh, like, how come there's certain people that just got all these gifts wrapped up in them? <laughs> oh, no fair. Share some for crying out loud. Okay, so shout out. Um, we get version, we've gotten this a variety of this question a number of times. Why are we focused on changing laws instead of changing hearts? And since hearts can only be changed by Christ, why aren't we focused on getting people saved? Hmm. Yeah. I think I can only speak for us as a church body. I can't speak for all of the churches in America, but I, I never see us as not pointing people to Jesus. I feel like we're always doing that in everything that we say and everything that we preach and everything that we are about. I feel like we're always pointing people toward Jesus, Jesus. So I don't think it's an either or. I feel like we're in a crucial time right now. Yeah. And there are things that are bubbling to the surface that are really horrendous and ugly and they need to be mm -hmm. dealt with. And I think that um, when you consider salvation, it's not just simply saying yes to Jesus um, and having that relationship. Part of his salvation is reconciliation to others. Like you preached on that a few weeks ago. The fact that we right. are called to be reconciled to God, but we're also called to be reconciled to one another. And so that is an important aspect of salvation. And part of that reconciliation happens with us humans. And humans are a part of systems and are a part of implementing laws. And, and sometimes those laws are unjust. Sometimes those laws um, disadvantage whole people groups or, and, and advantage others. And so if we're going to be truly reconciled to one another, if we're really going to see one another as equals, we have to address the whole aspect of it. We can't just focus on 
one thing. I think we have to look at the whole, the holistic viewpoint. And, and Jesus did that. He um, didn't just call people unto himself, but he also brought his salvation in, in, in physical healing and in reaching to yeah. those that were um, the outcasts and also reconciling people to one another. And so I think if we follow his example, then we look at the whole picture. That's we good. can't just, you know, say, say yes to Jesus. And then also, unfortunately, like you just said in your message, um, Christians have had an issue with this. People who have proclaimed Jesus have, have had a part in um, the racism that we have faced for hundreds yeah. of years. They have participated in it and, and to varying degrees. And so just because you've said yes to Jesus doesn't mean that you've got it all figured out. Obviously. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, that holistic gospel. I, I sometimes think that what we have in the West is largely a Platonic gospel, mm -hmm. you know, where the soul is separate from the body that is in, in the context that the body's in. Right. Uh, whereas Jesus' approach, as you just said, it was, it was holistic. He cared about the whole person. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, you know, we mentioned this last week about the, the importance of empathizing, especially mm -hmm. across racial lines where it's more challenging. Mm -hmm. But when, 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 if you really empath empathize with George Floyd, you're, you could see him as your son or your father or whatever, um, well, you, you know what, if there's a law that, that, that somehow doesn't acknowledge this injustice, right. uh, you won't be sitting around like, well, we just need, I, they need to change, you know, people's hearts. Right. No, this person died. People are dying here, you know, yeah. and, and if you empathize and it's, you make it yours, you begin to feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I think about it. Like when you've talked about roaring, like sometimes that's the way you roar for others on behalf of others is right. to get involved in the things that can really help bring about true change. Yep. So yes, love Jesus, of course, but let that, that play it, out in your life. It doesn't mean that we're experts on the law that we know no. how to run a country or whatever, no, but we're you. saying, ouch, this, in, yeah. this injustice really does hurt. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. good, that's good. Okay, uh, here's one for Cedric. Okay, Cedric, uh, this person asks, uh, black on black violence accounts for hundreds of times more black people's deaths than those who die unjustly at the hands of white police officers. So if we truly want to affirm that black lives matter, shouldn't we focus more on end, ending inner city gang violence than on dismantling our city's police forces? <laughs> so on this question, I'd like to start off by saying that yes, black on black crime and inner city gang violence, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a lot of our black and brown, um, a lot of black and brown brothers and sisters that are dying um, in inner cities based on violence. And so that is definitely true. But I want um, us to take a little bit of a broader perspective on it and see that it is possible for it to be more of a, a, a symptom of what's really going mm. on. And I think many people um, automatically divide the two things that mm -hmm. you can have uh, systemic racism and uh, major disparities between white people and black people, and that's one thing. And then you over here, you have black on black crime and violence. And to me, what I'm saying is one is an input and a result of the other. Um, when you have income inequality, when you have marginalized groups, um, when you have major disparities, one of the worst here in Minnesota when it comes to education and the rest, um, yeah. you create an environment and a culture. Um, it does not alleviate and remove choice. I think that that's one of the great things that you've talked about, Greg, here at the church of um, that 
every day people are making choices and that we have free will to make those choices. But to only talk about those choices in a vacuum without talking about context, history, and mm -hmm. systems um, really doesn't do it justice yeah. around what's really going on for those choices. Some people are making choices because systems are so bad for them mm -hmm. that they are choosing something else. And so I would say that yes, it's a problem. Yes, we need to do something about it. Um, but at times people remove the ability to see um, black on black crime as a symptom to something that is a greater issue and yeah. problem. Mm. Well, and also, Good. like, we're on this journey together, right? This is what we're, we're learning together, and that's why people are sending in questions. And I, I can't help but think as we read a question like this and other questions that have come in, um, it, can, it can feel like, not for everyone, but I'm just going to say, for, for me, it can feel like people are trying to distract from mm. what we're trying to deal with here. Like, we're trying to respond to the collective ouch that's been being cried yes. out. Um, and then for someone to say, yeah, but what about this? And this is important too, but man, this is what we're dealing with right now. This, yeah. is, this is the ouch of this moment that has been going on for so long, but it's like, it's pronounced. And so we're trying to deal with that. And so as we're all learning together, I would just encourage us all to not look for, but what about this issue and what about that? Because yes, those things are important, like Cedric said, but they're a part of a bigger issue. And, and that bigger issue is what we're trying to to, to stamp out right, right. and address. If I might add to that, I think one illustration would be, I think these topics, we need to wrestle with them in a relational way, not in an abstract way. Yeah. If you had a relative or someone close to you that had an esoteric form of a cancer, you wouldn't respond to them and say, what about the hundreds of people or thousands of people who have diabetes? and use that to take away from this yeah. pressing issue. Right, that's good. So it's gonna be very crucial to make sure that that relational element is informing. It's right to ask questions, it's right to engage, but if you're not thinking about that, you might come across as insensitive. Mm -hmm. yeah. Excellent. The only thing I'd add is that, you know, as you were saying, Cedric, uh, it's important to zoom out and look at the, the, the systemic things going on. It's also important to zoom out and look at the historical things going on. Mm -hmm. uh, the meaning of any event today can't be separated from the meaning of the past. I mean, that things acquire meaning as you go on. And the meaning of, of police, white police on, uh, with unarmed black folks, uh, th there's a long, 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 long history uh, of that. In fact, that's one of the reasons why the police force was initially started. Right. Um, and, and, and so when you see that officer with his knee on, on George Floyd's neck, that, see that, the reason that lead lead a powder keg is it's tapping into this yes. archetype, this yes. principality and power that we've been feeding for, for centuries. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and so it, it's, it's apples and oranges in some ways. But the other thing is that there's a long history of, of the whatabouts. Mm -hmm. uh, it's gaslighting. Yeah. Uh, and, and so to, to get the eyes off of the injustice here, well, you know, you black folks have trouble getting along together. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the, you guys, you, you Africans were, were, were having slaves on your own. You know, you were doing it. And, and that then justifies mm -hmm. this. Uh, yeah, it, it's important to stay focused. Not yeah. that is a pro problem. But this, this is the problem we're talking about right here. Right. We need time to talk about that one too, but don't be distracted from this. Right. Hey, I appreciate that. It's good. Okay. Um, Here's one a person who says, it seems to me that even talking about different races is problematic from a Christian perspective. Because in Christ, there's no Jew, Gentile, no black, white, etc. So why are you guys buying into this race identity politics <laughs> of the world? Hmm. Shana, would you like to take yeah. us through? 
yeah, yeah, I, I'm thankful for the freedom in Christ that our differences no longer divide us. And I think that's what the point of the scripture is, is it's not to say there are no differences. Um, it's that those things that were used to divide and, and to provide that hierarchy, like you talked about, of power are no longer valid. Um, the things that we would say would cause us, uh, some to be better than others, us versus them, those things are null and void because in Christ we are all one. But in all honesty, it is, it's, it's frustrating and it's hurtful to pretend like you don't see cultural <laughs> differences. Like you don't see that we look differently than, like not everyone looks the exact same. And to say, well, I don't see your color. I just see you, Nimi. Well, that's not true. Um, you do see all of who Nimi is and should love him for all that and we he do, is. We do. And we, we, do. we, we do, absolutely. Um, and so I think it's not, buying into identity politics. The fact is, is we are all different. We are all culturally different. We are all um, made different, but we're all made in the image of Christ. And so the things that would normally be raised up as dividing walls, Christ has torn those down and said, absolutely not. There is yeah. room at the table for all. Like we all have a place and we are all equal. It's people who have tried to say some are more equal than others. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Jesus doesn't say that. You know, I, I, there is, it, it occurs to me that that um, there is a, a fringe of folks out there who are pressing kind of post-modernity to this extreme, and there is this race identity politics thing mm -hmm. where everybody's trying to claim you know, some kind of distinctive thing for which they can feel victimized, mm -hmm. and it's going to, you know, all that. And so I can, I, 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 it, it just now occurs to me that I wonder if some folks, like when we start talking about, you know, that, how the, the, we're, we're to be one in Christ and we're supposed to work through these issues and you know, work for justice, if, if, if they're fearing that extreme, mm -hmm. you know, that in this polarized world in which we live, everything gets hurt in its worst possible light right. to the degree that you're siloed. Uh, but the, what you're just saying about how the kingdom has this leveling effect, because we all know that we're broken, but we all know that we're loved for free. And, and so all the hierarchies are gone. That, there's nothing, that has nothing to do with that postmodern thing other right. than to say there's one thing that I think they got right, and that is that the hierarchies of power are social constructs. Yes. I think postmodernism got that part right. Yeah. Uh, but then they press it to some wild extremes that we wouldn't necessarily endorse. Okay, Nimi, I'm thinking that you might uh, be able to help us on this one. Here's a person <laughs> who wrote in. He says, I'm a Nigerian male who came to the United States 15 years ago to go to college. With few exceptions, I have been welcomed and have been treated fairly by white people. By contrast, I have not generally felt welcomed and have often not been treated well by African-Americans. Several even told me uh, to go back to my own country. So I'm wondering why racism is always spoken of in America as though it was an exclusively white problem. Mm. Was that your question? Good question. Um, <laughs> I will clarify, I did not write the question. <laughs> um, I came to the States 20 years ago, so that's a difference there. But I do want to say I do empathize with that question because yeah. when I started in college around 2001, it was also very shocking for me to find myself in certain settings where I seem to get along a bit better with my white friends than my African-American friends who I would have thought I had a bit more in common with. And as you can imagine, coming in from a different culture, that was definitely very confusing yeah. for me. But as we've been talking about the themes here with injustice, I found that it comes in many different forms. Mm -hmm. um, I've also experienced some of what my African-American and my black and brown brothers and sisters have gone through when I moved to Minnesota and I found myself driving through Wayzata. Why is that? 
Y Zeta. <laughs> I keep getting that wrong. I will get that right someday. I promise. It's all right. It's um, all right. And I get pulled over. Um, and if I didn't have my work badge that day, I have no idea how that encounter would have ended. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where. Unfortunately, depending on the context we're all in, we don't necessarily have that luxury of choosing what type of injustice we're going to experience. Right. Uh-huh. And so, I think my takeaway there would be not to discount that perspective, but just to say there are many different forms of the way this injustice plays out. Mm-hmm. And as I've gone on my journey, right, it doesn't take away as well from the fact that I have many black and brown brothers and sisters who have welcomed me with open arms. But you just see that. Complexity on display, and one of the things I'm really grateful for as well is being at Woodland, where we've been reminded again and again that if our identity in Christ isn't the thing that drives us, and pursuing a kingdom mindset, then it's going to be hard not to succumb to some of the challenges with how to make sense of these differences. Absolutely, yeah. you know, on one level of trying to empathize with some of my black and brown brothers, then, you know. Cedric has talked about the nature of systems and the truth that white people, for the majority, hold the power structures. So there is a sense that for the remaining seats at the table, which are few, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, like we're jockeying for who's going to get that seat at the table. Yeah. And you know, I think embracing the fact that in Christ we have abundance. In Christ, there are enough seats. Everything you just said, mm-hmm. Shauna, that has really helped me in. Moving away from that mindset of it's a competition and who's going to benefit mm-hmm. in the worst of all possible outcomes at the bottom of the ladder versus yeah. how do you lean in? How do you choose to love? How do you choose to respond in a way that really reflects the gospel? Mm-hmm. So, not taking anything away from that perspective and what he experienced, but I do think as kingdom people, we end up having to make a choice that says, are we going to? Align ourselves with God's perspective. Are we going to choose perspectives that lead us to unity, not yeah. disunity, yeah. and reframe our experience from just I'm experiencing good things from this gr- cultural group and not from this group? So what, what, we're debating about what the nature of the problem might be, mm. even though it's all injustice in different forms. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Anyone want to add anything to that? That was perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. It is interesting, though, that that in your assessment, we, we have this hierarchy and you do have a white power structure. And so there's competition for scarcity of resources at the bottom. So interestingly enough, the, whatever tensions there are with the African, African-American community or some in the African-American community and with you know, people like yourself, ultimately white supremacy is behind that. Yeah. And it, it, it drives the whole competition system. Well, and the one other thing is, Nemi, I know I've heard you say um, that you've had to learn the history Mm -hmm. that your African-American brothers and sisters had to go through, which was different than your upbringing. And and so the part of your understanding was learning what it was like for some here, although it was different from where you were raised initially. I'm really grateful you bring that up because I'm married now and I have kids who are growing up within this culture. So they don't have the luxury of saying I'm African. They are African-American and people of color growing yeah. in. And without coming alongside my brothers and sisters who have lived this for years, 
I am not going to be equipped to help them in this journey of how to live like kingdom people. Yeah. So choosing to love, choosing to empathize, choosing to come alongside rather than seeing it as a bit of a, another source for that tension and disunity yeah. has been a choice that I've had to make in order to mm. move towards the solution and not stay in a place of conflict. Mm. Praise God. Yeah. Okay, here's a question that we've had several times. Um, some variety of this. How come the racist actions of a few officers is interpreted as evidence of, quote, systemic racism, while the many good actions of many good officers are not interpreted as systemic goodness? So I'll take that one. You're, you're kind of our systems guy. So, <laughs> so just, <laughs> Go ahead. Just, just to remind everyone that systemic racism or structural racism, it, it, it embodies some type of a structure or a system where injustices along the lines of race is, are being perpetuated based on policies, practices, um, cultural representation, and norms. And so the reason that we say structural or systemic racism when it comes to uh, what happened with um, George Floyd and the officer or others um, is because overall there is a system with inputs into why certain people groups, which are black and brown, yeah. are being targeted and or um, killed more often than their white counterparts. And so I just want us to remember that because systemic or structural racism, that definition is really important to remember. So when you add in, I think the term was used systemic goodness, yeah. I think what they're really getting at is that not all officers are like this and that there right. are, there's a lot of great things that are happening, let's just say um, for this question in um, the police force, right? And we are grateful and, and we're thankful that there are a lot of officers that are abiding by and doing right by their badge. That, um, so all of that is true and all of that is right. However, there is a systemic approach that has been used over time right now with police brutality um, that can't be swept under the rug. Right. And so we say structural systemic racism is important because within that power structure that we're talking about, there's a people group that has been marginalized. Mm -hmm. And so it's great to say systemic goodness, right? But my personal belief is when you use the word systemic goodness, systemic goodness, the, the, the system was created um, by white people against, in many instances, people of color. Mm -hmm. So it is not designed, or it has not been, it wasn't designed to work well for people of color. Right. Mm -hmm. So systemic racism is that approach. Systemic goodness is really saying that those that are in the police force are doing their job, and, and that's great. But it gets back to the bad apple mm -hmm. type of a conversation where, oh, there are just a few bad apples. Well, we would say, no, they're not just a few bad apples because the system is perpetuating inequities. And yeah. because the system is perpetuating inequities, um, a lot of people are crying out saying that enough is enough. Yeah. We can't continue to have this. Something has to change. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we try to answer that question. Yeah. Can I put you on the spot just Go for a second? And, uh, uh, Where'd you get your degree and what's your uh, degree in? 
So I got my graduate degree from the uh, Georgia State University in Atlanta, Georgia, and I got it in public administration with a concentration in finance and management from the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies. So I, I didn't know that till last week, but I was wondering, how does this guy know so much about systems? I mean, you just, you, so you, you, you've got your master's degree in that, so I appreciate that. Uh, Anything you want to add? Yeah, if I might add to that, you know, part of the challenge with the way the question is asked, in my opinion, is the perception of what's the basis you're using to say that it's not systemic. Yeah. Like the, the systemic goodness is way more than some of the bad apples mm -hmm. in this scenario. And even if you put that aside, I remember seeing in a comedic skit recently that there are some professions where perfection has to be the standard. Right. Mm. You know, if you had a scenario where there were a few pilots that would fly planes into a mountain, nobody would ever say, what about the systemic goodness of the good pilots? <laughs> right. Most well of them get you day? to your destination. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, just a, a few, few that don't. Exactly. Yeah. Or teachers as well, right? <laughs> right. Um, all these great teachers that do a good job teaching their students, but here are a few bad apples that exploit their mm -hmm. students. Why not focus on the systemic goodness of those? And so I think... Unfortunately, it's just the nature of the space where when you have certain disciplines where trust is very high, um, it's not going to be possible to entertain a scenario where a few bad apples can continue to thrive because of the system and not expect that that won't poison the entire story. Yeah. Um, there are many cases of that illustration coming through where you just have a little bit and then it poisons the entire right. narrative. And I would hope that those who are within that system who recognize that and are people of the kingdom would do what they feel called to, mm -hmm. to push for that accountability of perfection in this scenario. Yeah, yeah and I think it's also hard to, to just relabel something as systemically good when there have been so many opportunities and a, a history of, of the bad apples being able to flourish and even mm -hmm. um, advance in rank and then further perpetuate their form of power. And I think there has to be, there should be like certain situations, like especially when you hold so much power where you just can't tolerate any um, bad apple. You can't tolerate any poison within the ranks because it, it, the cost is so high. And unfortunately the cost has been very high for the black and brown community. And I think to focus on that, again, focusing on that collective ouch, the screaming that we've been yeah. hearing is not to, to say, well, the whole lot is terrible, but it's like, no, but there is an issue here and right. we're trying to address it. We're trying to call it out so it's no longer hidden mm -hmm. because what things flourish and can thrive in darkness. But when you call it out to light, then good. you can begin to really deal with That's it. Good. Amen. I, I, I think a lot of people have trouble really thinking systemically, mm -hmm. especially white folks on, on race issues. It, yeah. It's just a, a muscle they haven't had to exercise very much. Other folks have to exercise that muscle oh. all the time, but, but whites don't. Um, and and it, it's hard to, to think. You, you can have, like, I, for a while, studied a lot on uh, Nazi Germany. Mm -hmm. and how that operated. Um, I taught a, taught a course on theology after Auschwitz. And what's interesting is you can have a system where all the people are good, yeah, it, uh, but the system produces evil. Mm -hmm. um, the system, it, it has a life of its own. You know, this guy, he only just kind of, uh, you know, orchestrates the train tracks. They take the, you know, as long as he doesn't ask any questions, he's right. good. Yes. And this person has to open the gate. This, right. Everyone does their part, but no one's evil. They're not right. like, uh, but they all participate in it. Mm -hmm. uh, 
whether they knew it or not. And, yeah. and that's how systems operate. Yeah. Uh, it's, so to say that the system's racist is not at all to say that the majority of police are racist. Right. And, and I, we get that feedback all the time. Okay, here's another question. Uh, oh, this one should be easy. If you're going to weigh in on injustices in society, uh, why focus exclusively on race relations? And we're not focusing exclusively on race. It's just at this moment we're focused on it. Um, there were nine unarmed black men who were killed by police in 2019, and perhaps all of them were unwarranted, but there were almost a million unborn babies aborted in America in 2019. Uh, isn't that a far greater evil that the church should stand up against? Like I said, this is going to be a piece of cake. Super easy. <laughs> uh, since it's a, this is a question that's, I think, asked towards what the hell's I should take the first, first volley on, on answering it. Uh, we are here strongly pro-life. Um, I mean, it's, it's at the foundation of the kingdom. We are, are opposed to all forms of violence. Uh, but we're for pro-life, the whole life. Uh, the life, you know, leading up to birth and after birth and uh, as, as it continues on. So that's our whole approach. We try to uh, encourage people to be, living, be peacemakers and, and to of, abstain from violence under any of these circumstances. Uh, at the same time, um, the, there's an issue that has never been resolved in the church uh, or anywhere else so far as I know, and that is the question of, of is, is personhood something that is given instantaneously mm. at the moment of conception or something like that, uh, or, or is, it a, is there a process uh, that people go through in the process of becoming full persons? And the church has always had a number of different perspectives on that because it's an issue that's not obvious uh, based on empirical evidence. So Augustine speculated that the, and the way they kind of put it in the church tradition is when does the soul come into the body? Mm -hmm. And Augustine thought it was like at, at the end of the first trimester. Uh, Tertullian uh, seemed to think it was more earlier than that. Aquinas at one point suggested that it's when the baby's born because that's when it takes its first breath. And the Bible says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life and it became a living soul. I, I just point that out to show that there's a spectrum of beliefs here. And given that uh, we don't uh, have enough information to settle this in a way that all moral and rational people would agree on, uh, we, we don't think it's this thing that we as a church uh, should be saying how, how this should cash out politically. Um, it's something that people have to work through. What we, we all, what we are committed to doing is that we want to make it at all possible. If there's a woman with an unwanted pregnancy, we want to come around her. And if it's possible to, to make it feasible to go full term, uh, we want to support her in that. Um, you know, your, our opinions on things, our political opinions of how you vote aren't really what matters. It, what matters most is how do you live your life day by day? Yeah. And uh, we try to encourage people to live a pro-life life. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, you know, just encouraging life and at all stages, at all levels, with all people. Mm -hmm. Anyone want to add anything to that? I'd like to add some other thoughts. Again, just echoing some of what Cedric and others have mentioned. Um, in some ways, I feel challenged to call out the premise, false premise behind the options being pitted against each other. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. when you think about how God takes on injustice, God doesn't consider the numbers of one an indicator of how much more or less important another one is. And as we mentioned, we can't use the idea that maybe there are fewer number of black people who've gone through injustice and say that that's less important than the millions of babies who might have been impact, uh, who have been aborted. Um, and what I think is important to remember is even as Jesus walked and showed us by example, 
he would not have told us the parable of the lost sheep where there were 99 who were already fine and everything was okay and he, he said he told the parable of going after the one in God's economy everyone matters mm -hmm. so everyone and the group matters it's not an either or mm -hmm. and so I think in the same vein I would sort of challenge the person to hopefully take on more of a relational aspect in wrestling with the fact that we still have to wrestle with abortion like you mentioned that issue won't go away for the reasons you mentioned but let's not use that as a way to substitute for wrestling for those lives that yeah. have been mm -hmm. taken away and yeah. what's behind them yeah and to say nine like as if nine is not a a, a big enough number to warrant our cry yes. that that's unfortunate um I, yeah I think any life lost is, is not good, and that's not the kingdom, it's not what God would want. Um, but yeah, I agree. We can't say, well, this was only nine. However, there is this huge amount of, again, it's, it's, it's trying to say that this matters more than the other, and that's just not the, that's not the case. Yeah. It all matters. The other thing I, I'd throw in Ed, is that, that uh, a lot of, the question almost makes it seem, or could be interpreted as saying that, like the whole the whole thing that this is about is the police force you know and that is just one small part of the systemic injustice that mm -hmm. we're talking about exactly. yeah. Cedric said it, it, it permeates everywhere exactly and and so I, I I think it's a mistake to make it all about like the police force right. like that's going to solve all the problems or whatever <laughs> uh, it won't uh, it, it goes broader than that mm. well thanks for, for sharing that uh, here's a question um, person says, I am a 25-year-old veteran of the police force who very much appreciates the message of Wilton Hills Church. Glad that uh, you're listening in. I understand why Wilton Hills Church stands behind Martin Luther King Jr. for his protest, oh, be behind Martin Luther King Jr. because his protests were premised on nonviolence and love for enemies. Mm -hmm. uh, his protests were thus consistent with the kingdom as Wilton Hills presents it. But I'm surprised, puzzled, and troubled by your endorsement of the Black Lives Matter movement because this movement believes that the goal of racial justice justifies any means necessary to attain uh, their, their, their goal. And so the person wants to so how, how can we get behind such a movement? Yeah, so I will, uh, I don't speak for Black Lives Matter, but just to provide some history. So the hashtag Black Lives Matter really came to be back in 2013, and this is around the Trayvon Martin mm -hmm. murder. And um, it came up because um, based on that murder, there was an acquittal of, um, I think his name was George, George Zimmerman. Zimmerman. So um, there became an outcry on saying that this always happens to us, this injustice is wrong, um, someone was murdered, and nobody's paying a price for it. And so that's kind of how, that's really when the hashtag Black Lives Matter started. I say that to say that there are really two groups. One is Black Lives Matter as an overall movement and then Black Lives Matter as like an organized entity. And overall, there's a lot of decentralization um, within it. So Black Lives Matter, uh, Matter as a organization um, has different chapters. There's a Black Lives Matter of uh, US, UK, Canada, and so, there is an organization and they don't believe in violence, they don't believe in by any means necessary, 
Um, and then you also have a Black Lives Matter just overall movement. And I think mm-hmm. that the movement that has really took on steam over the last you know few months, uh, based on the murder of George Floyd, is just this belief that um, we call out Black Lives Matter. Yes, we agree that um, all lives uh, matter, but the reason we focus on black lives is because right now it is coming across that they don't matter based yeah. on the actions. And so if we focus on that, the, the thought is that there will be more support um, around this, these injustices. Um, we don't condone, I don't personally condone uh, violence, uh, protest that leads in looting and, right. and, and all of that. So that is not what hap- that is happening. And if you can go back and look as far as um, the civil rights movement with Dr. Martin Luther King and uh, Representative John Lewis and mm-hmm. Andrew Young and others, um, they also believed in peaceful protests and marches. And yet they also had people that came alongside that did not believe in that. Mm-hmm. And they... Um, Instigators. Instigators for for violence. And so in that instance back then, so it's happening now where we have those that do believe in violence and do believe in kind of getting instigating uh, within the situation and using it as an opportunity. So the actual organization itself does not believe in Mm, violence. Um, And also I would say that the movement that all of us have kind of rallied around don't believe in violence. However, there are certain people that do, and I personally don't support that, and I don't think our church no, does. No, no, no one would. And what complicates it even more is that there's, um, I, I know one organizer uh, in Minneapolis on the ground, and they know their people. You know, mm-hmm. they, they organize. They, they work with these people all the time, and these folks are not part of us, and yep. those are the, and they, they, there were people coming in, even some white supremacists coming in just yeah. to make it look bad, you know? So yeah. you've got all sorts of craziness going on. Uh, I would also like to add, Greg, that um, I know someone personally here that's a part of the Black Lives Matter movement, and she would call out people Mm -hmm. um, during, I know during the George Floyd um, protests um, that were throwing things, that were trashing things, like, hey, you're not one of us. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not what we believe in. That's not what we stand for. And so there are just people that were trying to take the opportunity to cause havoc. One difference is that, like with, with King, uh, the nonviolence was the point. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was like, uh, by not retaliating, we, we believe there's power in non-retaliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that will bear witness to the wrong that's being done. And so they had a solidarity, a united front, whereas that's totally lacking here. Uh, yeah. The most you're going to get is to then not, try, not, try not to, you know, act out your anger, but, but you, we don't have that kind of solidarity on it. And that's what I think keen people can bring to this. You yeah. know, because we, we, st- we do have that. And yeah. uh, that's part of why, why we do what we do. There isn't a, there, uh, talking about the decentralized kind of approach, like you were saying, um, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Representative um, uh, Lewis, they were kind of like bearers. Yeah. People could really look at them and point to them. It's so decentralized now right. where yeah. there isn't like one person that all of us would be able to say and Rally point to around. and say that that yeah. person is really leading the charge on that. Yeah. It is Which kind of highlights, I think, the greatness that, of, of, that 
he was able to, to command such a authority over yeah. so many people doing something that was so counterintuitive. Yeah. And, and many of them weren't even Christian. I mean, he had a lot of folks, but they just believed in this philosophy. Yeah. Uh, I think that's too part of why the passing of John Lewis hurts so much because it, it feels like that's the, he was the last one that, that we could follow, you know, mm-hmm. um, in that way. And, and I think it's also interesting, though, I, I think right now we love to look back and say, those of you who are protesting, those of you who are, who are um, screaming out, roaring, you need to do it like they did then um, because they were peaceful. And, and that is true. That was their goal. That was their purpose. But even but if you were back in that time, it wasn't necessarily seen as peaceful. They were making good trouble. They were disrupting yep, yep. norms and people were angry about it. And so I think that's, that's just an interesting point. And, and the other point I wanted to make is I know or I'm imagining that there would be some who are listening to what we're saying in regards to this particular issue, Cedric, and may say, oh, so it's okay for uh, there to be a few bad apples in the the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's not okay for there to be Mm. a few bad apples in other situations. So how could you help kind of break that down and clarify it? I I am not supporting a few bad apples in any movement. Right. (laughs) Um, So in in the overall Black Lives Matter um, conversation that um, we don't condone, we don't support, um, that those that are looting and those that are doing that, that they need to have consequences for what they did, right? Mm -hmm. You burn down something, you need the consequences Mm -hmm. for doing that. And so I don't support it. I don't think anybody that I know is trying to support that. Um, And so that is definitely the case, but it goes back to kind of what we also said that we're not trying to pit people against. We want to stay laser focused on why we're even having this conversation in the beginning that black and brown people have been dying at a disproportionate rate Mm -hmm. and to throw that and sweep that under the rug um, is not being um, emppathetic to the cry uh, that people are having right now. If I might add one last thing too, (laughs) sorry. No, it's okay. I just want to echo what Greg had mentioned during his um, sermon where he talked about the fact that this is inherently going to be messy. Yeah. And when you take something global and you don't bring it to something local, you can hide behind that global messiness as to why it might be de- de- um, illegitimate. And the example you gave in there about your friend holding people around her accountable, yeah. that's again tied to the other example we mentioned where there are people within that system You don't have to be Martin Luther King to work towards what the ideal should be. You have a sphere of influence that I think, if you don't think about it too globally and let the messiness get ahead of your ability to be an an agent for change, you can focus Mm -hmm. on locally what is within your power to call it out in a way that leads to life Mm -hmm. and not have people be scapegoated, but still let people know we shouldn't tolerate this behavior regardless of who's doing it. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'll add is that I've had uh, from throughout this whole season we've been in since the lockdown of uh, Colossians 1, 19 and 20 this mm-hmm. has been burning in my heart where it tells us that God is at work uh, to reconcile everything in heaven and on earth uh, together by means of the cross by means of the blood of the cross and to bring his shalom by that means and so that, that, that I think is our true north that's what we're always about yeah. is, is by means of sacrificial love to be going in the, in the direction of God's shalom by means of the cross. Um, and so where I, that kind of gives a, like a grid you can look at the world at. And, and so when I look at the Black Lives Matter movement, um, 
you know, it, 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 insofar as it's standing for that justice and equality, that one new humanity, that mm -hmm. cops, I want to be for that, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but it kind of goes back to the, what I said uh, a couple of weeks ago. Was it last week or week before? Uh, two, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Uh, it all blurs together for me. <laughs> but that we live in a wheat and tares world, yeah. right? The enemy is so, and, and that, 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 that permeates everything. And so you're going to, uh, you just have to accept that. Of course, yeah. the, the, there's going to be other stuff going on here because not everyone's going to be holding the, the same kingdom principles that I hold. And even among those who hold kingdom principles, there are going to be wheat and tares among us because there's wheat and tares in all of us. You know, we're yeah. all in that. Uh, so I, I think just knowing that, I say that because the Anabaptists have had a tradition of overreacting, kind of like, uh, if it's got any tares, then we can't be associated with it. Mm. And, uh, and, and then you become your own little enclave in yes. a little holiness hill, yes. uh, quarantined from the sinful world. Exactly. And are no good to anybody. So yeah. yeah, you have to be in the world but not of it. Right. Exactly. Amen. Okay, one more question. Uh, I think we have time. Yes, we do. Uh, Mary the boss says we have time for one more. <laughs> I am a, uh, first says, I am a white male in my mid-50s, but as embarrassing as it is to admit, mm. Uh, it has only been during the last several months, and thanks in large part to the sermons and discussions at Wilden Hills Church, that my eyes have been opened to my white privilege and to the, system, to the systemic racism that's been part of American culture from before its inception as a nation. I feel shame over how willfully blind I've been, and I want to do something to make up for my lifelong apathy, but I have no idea how to do this. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions as to how I can atone for the sin of my latent racism? Mm. Uh, let me just say a little theological word. Um, I, I know what the person's asking for. He wants to like now get in the game, but uh, only Jesus can atone for your sin. Yeah. So, so give up on that one. Right. Uh, but I, we know what you mean by uh, mm. any suggestions for, the, and I, 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 I know three people who are in this kind of situation yeah. where it's like, whoa, uh, and I know what it's like because I've been there. Uh, yeah. it, it's like, what, what, your eyes are all of a sudden, now they're calling it woke. Yes. Uh, but but uh, yeah, and then yeah. there's can be guilt and remorse mm -hmm. and what, what can they do? Yeah. If I may, I really, really appreciate this question. This question speaks deeply to me and whoever asked that and whoever is there, thank you. Yeah. Um, because I have not seen that many people who have been willing to be vulnerable about being in that place. and. You know, as the saying goes, without any awareness, there isn't change. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, a few thoughts that have been percolating in my mind as I've wrestled with the topic in general about how we get off this current path we're on. Um, as scripture reminds us, right, true repentance is not just feeling guilt. Um, everywhere, as we've seen, where the people were called to repent, they essentially were told to have their actions, their character, who they are, turn in a different direction mm -hmm. to show that what they've been doing is not how they're going to be doing things going forward. Right. And so, like you mentioned, at the end of the day, Jesus was the one who atoned for our sin. And because of everything he's done, we have been welcomed into life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but as we try to align ourselves with him and try to bring it down to what does this mean with what I can do within my own current context, I think there are two themes that have really come up again and again that are going to be very crucial for us to really individually and collectively reflect that repentance. Um, the first one would be a commitment to relationship in a way like never before mm. Mm -hmm. and empathy. Mm -hmm. um, that can look like many different ways and I'm not going to belabor that here, but last weekend when Dr. Sandra Unger talked about the example of 
leaning in mm-hmm. and yep. choosing to move from her comfortable neighborhood into a neighborhood with her black and brown brothers and sisters and forming that relationship with D. What a beautiful picture of what repentance could look like. Mm-hmm. Her picture of white privilege was broken and you know, I think it's important to remember that there will be mistakes made, yeah. Yeah. right? There needs to be grace there. Yeah. This is a journey for us all. But the fear of what that could look like didn't stop her from stepping into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another example, which hits a bit more close to home is, I live in Blaine, and one of my brothers, Lauren, um, encouraged, back to the relational thing, said, I'm yearning for community. And he reached out to the church and he brought a few of us in Blaine together to start doing community where we're at. And we've been wrestling with these topics in our own way, trying to understand, okay, we can boil the ocean, but what does it look like in our own local context to do things differently? Mm -hmm. Another brother within that community, Matt Johnson, talked about how he heard Cedric's sermon a few weeks ago about the systemic issues with housing mm-hmm. and how black and brown brothers have been, and sisters have been systemically kept from being able to own homes, which is a sign of wealth. And that right. just perpetuates that systemic principle. As someone who owned a home and could sell it, he could see very tangibly how he could have an influence on whether someone with a different sounding name like his could actually own a home and buy into that system. And so he's been thinking about ideas in which he can also be a part of the solution and pull people around him who have experiences with real estate, people who have experiences with woodworking and building stuff Mm -hmm. and getting financing just ways to figure out how we can all bring our part of the picture to the table Mm. and come alongside humbly Mm -hmm. our black brothers and sisters who may be in a place where they'll never be able to participate because of this different systemic things we've mentioned. Mm -hmm. I just, I mentioned those two examples because I think they're not all encompassing, but what was really powerful for me was the example, both with Sandra and some of these brothers I mentioned, to take that risk, to lean in, They're terrified, as you can imagine, as to whether this will work, whether it will fail, whether they'll say something to me as their black brother that will completely piss me off and have me (laughs) leave. And I I want you all to know who are in a similar place that at least within the kingdom, there is grace. We know the Lord brings life and he's given us everything we need to really step Mm. into that life and that light he's calling us to. So... um, Yes, I can't speak for everyone, but I want you to know that this is a journey for us all. And I want you to be, to be in a place where you feel the courage to take those steps, mm-hmm. to get closer to your brothers and sisters who are brown and black in the way the Lord's calling you, yeah. to reach out to us in the church to figure out how to help you make this connection Good. and watch what the Lord does with that. Yeah. I love that you bring that relational aspect to it because um, I think that's so important when you talk about coming alongside, not going in to be a savior per se, but like cultivating relationships so that you can come alongside and, and help one another. I think that's really powerful. And I would echo um, Nemi's words of just gratitude. Like, thank you for recognizing that uh, you have been awakened to something that you weren't aware of. That's a huge step. That's really important. Yep. And 
Um, and, I, and, and like Nemi said, there is grace for you. There is plenty of room at the table. And, and I think you, you have your own um, spheres of influence that you can impact. Not everyone is gonna be called to do the same thing, but you have people in your life. You have your own type of community. You have maybe a, a, a place that you work where just your voice for standing up for what is right, for speaking truth, um, for shining a light in the darkness will make an impact. And so um, that's not like a recipe, but it is a, a small, tangible way that you can, you can make a difference. You can take what you've been awakened to and you can make that change that, that Nemi talked about with repenting and then and turning from your old thought processes, maybe the way you used to speak or the way you treated people and, and seeing people as image bearers and speaking truth and speaking light and speaking love. I think that's really important. When we all do our part, it just helps to move Amen. the movement along. So I, we are just about out of time and I just want to say thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for sending in your questions. Thank you for wrestling through these issues and all of your discussions. I also want to say thank you to Nimi for joining us. That's good. Um, we are so thankful. Warren Woodland Hills walking Yes, walk. yes. Listen to that crowd. They're going crazy. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Thank you to Cedric who has been with us several times and, and you know, you it's, right. it's not it's not easy just to step out and, and speak really truth to power. But <laughs> really, really appreciate Beautifully. All done it beautifully, yes. For you. Thank you so much. And Greg, thank you for leading us because you have not shied away. You have not backed down. You've like plunged forward. And so mm -hmm. thank you so much for that. It's, I have it's no choice. It's been brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold your feet to the fire. No. <laughs> and again, thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. If you are out there and you have a prayer need, know that we have uh, prayer partners waiting in Zoom rooms to pray with you. So you can... Um, get prayer. So be, make sure you do that. Like Greg said earlier, we're starting a new series next week, Sermon on the Mount. Please join us for that. This conversation isn't over. Uh, we will still be talking about kingdom things and, mm. and being reconciled to one another and how we're supposed to treat one another yep. in the kingdom. So it'll, it's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. And there's opportunities for you to engage the Sermon on the Mount series through gathering groups. You're welcome to join those. They are so fun, meeting people from all across the country, all around the world talking about the sermons every week and also the Musecast where we continue the conversation every week on Tuesday afternoons from the Sunday sermons. Thank you so much for joining us you guys. Thanks for being here everyone and uh, God bless, bless you, you. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye.